Hi. Megan, can you guess what what cheese we're going to talk about today? Well, considering that you're wearing a toga, I'm guessing... Wait, isn't a toga... Isn't a toga a Greek thing? Yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's a Roman thing, I think. Uh, I think it's Greek. Frat parties would always have Greek... They would always have toga... I went to... I went to a toga party, okay? Uh, if anybody out there is an expert on satorial, historical satorial, um, studies, can you please email us at curdsandway at gmail.com and tell us if togas were Greek or Roman, because I think we've hit an impasse here. We don't know. Well, I, I had prepared this visual joke for just Megan, basically, for an audio podcast, um, so it didn't really work, I think, is what we would agree. It did not. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Welcome to Curds and Why. I am one half of our team, and I have forgotten our podcast name, which is not a good thing. Uh, we're both a couple drinks in, so this is going to be an interesting <laughs> podcast. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this this week, we're going to talk about Roman cheese, so ancient Rome and cheese, sort of continuing our forward march through history. So the ancient Romans loved cheese. By the time the empire came around, the, the ancient Roman empire, um, cheese had been on the scene for a long time now. You all remember that famous saying, Veni, Vidi, Velveeta. <laughs> You're really proud of yourself for that one, aren't you? <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> no, uh, the, the Velveeta wasn't a thing yet. Um, so that was a joke, by the way. I've been sitting on that joke for a month now. And every time I thought about it, I laughed so, ancient Rome loved cheese. And let's talk a little bit about what, what Rome is. So, even before Rome became a kingdom, it was, cheese was on the market for a long time. And people had been making cheese and experimenting with different kinds of cheese. And as Rome transitioned from a kingdom to a republic to an empire, the love of cheese just grew. Uh, the Romans loved cheese so much that um, they... When they were buried in the ancient Roman tombs, they buried cheese graters along with them. So the very first cheese graters date back to ancient Roman times. And these cheese graters aren't sort of like what we have in our kitchen today. They were a metal plate with raised bumps. And the reason they needed to use that is because more and more hard cheeses were coming onto the scene. Because of sailing. Yeah, partly sailing, partly just longevity. I mean, the cheeses, the way the ancient Mesopotamian people were making them, were spoiled so quickly. So in order to have them last for longer than a couple of days, you would need to reduce the moisture, add a lot of salt, and they would keep for longer. But you can't just bite into these cheeses because they'd be so hard that the only way to consume it would be to grate it and to put it into something else. Mm -hmm. Um, In fact, really... rich people in the ancient Roman Empire would have an own, their own cheese kitchen. And the cheese... A kitchen dedicated to cheese? A kitchen dedicated to cheese. Um, a cariel is what it would be called. But that was only really rich people. The Romans loved cheese, but they loved... You know what they loved more than cheese? It's conquering other places and stealing their land. Mm-hmm. And when Romans conquered new places... Side note, is there a place named... Named cheese? No, named, like, after cheese. I know that there's a lot of cheeses that are named after places, but are there places named after cheese? I don't know. 
to sort of answer your question, um, we're Americans, so we only speak English, but um, if you go to England and something has the name Wick in the end of its name, like Fenwick, a Wick generally referred to a place that had a lot of dairies. Oh. So, to answer your question, kinda. But I don't know if the Romans had anything to do with it. So, Romans would conquer lands... And then they would take a third of that land and they would give it to the Roman citizens. So if you're a Roman citizen, then you would have these these far-flung lands that you could travel to and you could have fields and you could have dairies and you could have an estate. And you would gain um, profit for growing crops and selling food off of that estate. Also, um, cheese technology became exchanged through warfare. Do you remember in seventh grade social studies? Exchange of knowledge and ideas? Seventh grade? Oh. No, you don't remember that. I can't remember seventh grade. You could remember sixth grade. Last Mr. Hannell, I had se- I had Mr. Hannell for seven. And this is another episode of Megan talks about her sixth grade, her social studies teacher of middle school. Um, yeah. Yep. So you know when you go to warfare with somebody, sometimes um, different technologies get exchanged, and the Celts were a tribe of people that were always at warfare with the uh, the Romans, and the Celts were a milk drinking people. And so they had some cheese-making technologies, and they would exchange their cheese-making technologies with the Romans, and from that, new and better cheeses were developed. Um, So at that time, the rich Roman citizens might own a parcel of land, and they might have a diversity of crops. They might have some grains growing, they might have some cows, they might have some sheep, they might have some goats, and they would milk all their, their ruminants and they would combine the milk, and they would make the cheese off of it. So you wouldn't have separate cheeses made from goats, separate cheeses made from milks, and uh, from cows, and separate cheeses made from sheep. You would just combine the whole thing, and that would be the cheese you would make. Nowadays, of course, we don't really do that. Nowadays, it's very specific. You know, it comes from this particular type of animal. Mm-hmm. Going into dairying in times of war was also very advantageous. So uh, in the Second Punic War, they actually had an invasion from Carthage, the peninsula of Italy. And the Carthaginians, um, Carthaginians, is that the right word? I think so. Okay. Um, when they landed on the, uh, the Roman peninsula, the, the Italian peninsula, you know, um, the farmers would have to run and hide to avoid being killed. And you can't run and hide with your field of wheat, but you know what you can run and hide with? Your, your field of cheese? <laughs> Your flock of goats. In times of like civil unrest or if there's warfare going on, uh, it's it's better to go into uh, dairying instead of um, farming because you can run away with your <laughs> your product. You with your product in times of if need. If you're a farmer, that that crop is staying put. There's nothing you can do about it. Yeah, unless gonna... you like have some potted plants and in a wagon. <laughs> You attach the wagon to a horse and you take off. <laughs> That's not a sustainable way to farm. <laughs> would not recommend. Like the Greeks before them, the Romans would offer cheese and cheesecakes to their gods. Aphrodite, as we learned last week. Yeah, who become Venus in the Roman oh, anthology. Right, that was Greece. We talked about placos and then placenta. Mm-hmm. After we recorded that last episode, uh, I made some placenta. Oh yeah, I ate that placenta, <laughs> and I brought it to a party that Megan threw. Oh yeah, that was <laughs> that was fun to overhear Becky being like, "So I made placenta. Does anyone want to try my placenta?" And I was just like, "Oh dear lord, all these people do under, especially some of them who did not know you." It was so funny. <laughs> 
boy. Did anyone eat it? I think Sarah Rogers. Okay. Shout out Sarah Rogers. Again, um, who made our... She may have been the only other person. I think people were put off by the name, let's um, be honest. I would think so. Yeah, they were, uh, they were a little skeptical. Um, a lot of what we know about Roman cheeses comes from Roman, she- Roman historians, so agricultural historians. And there are three basic historians that tell us like how the cheese-making technology of ancient Rome developed. Caro, Vero, and Columella. And these guys were sort of aristocratic, um, for the most part, landowners who wrote these um, guidelines for how to run the ideal uh, farm, basically. And they talk about how the the technology develops. What's interesting is that Vero, who was a contemporary of Augustus Caesar, um, described how you need to use an all-sized amount of rennet, and he said that you should use kids' rennet instead of lambs' rennet. Kid as in goats, not human beings. Just want to clarify that for you, Megan. You were looking a little worried there. <laughs> um, or fig trees. And um, you know how I talked about last week there was the god of cheese? Well, the uh, the Romans had a god named uh, Rumina, who was originally the goddess of shepherds. And eventually she became the goddess of breastfeeding. Because, you know, your role as a god changes as the decades pass. It's just new responsibilities. You get promoted, and then you're just like, I have all these responsibilities, but am I getting paid anymore? No, I'm still a god of freaking cheese and fertility. You gotta diversify your portfolio. Ugh. It's like, I would like to be the god of cheese and, uh, football. <laughs> Sounds like a good job. <laughs> that would be Green Bay Packers. <laughs> You'd have to be a Green Bay Packers fan. You would have to live in Mich- <laughs> Wisconsin, Michigan. Where's Green Bay Packers? Wisconsin? Wisconsin. Another person who tells us a lot about how cheese was made was Pliny the Elder. Um, the, the Seriously? <laughs> yeah, I, you only know him because of the beer, but he wrote a lot of the natural histories and a lot of what we know about... Pliny the Elder was a person? Of course he was a person. I didn't know that. I, didn't, I honestly had no idea why they named that beer that they named that beer. The reason the Russian River Company, Brewing Company, named the beer Pliny the Elder is because he wrote the very first recipe for beer in his natural histories. Uh, exactly. So he, he was a pretty famous historian in his own right for more than just beer reasons. And, and how does he have to do with cheese again? Um, he recommended that the cheese you eat comes from France. Well, <laughs> he knows his stuff. <laughs> well, I mean, he kind of pissed off the Italians. Here, here. Oh, well, I can imagine. And the reason why he was talking about he was lauding the uh, the accomplishments of French cheese is because in addition to conquering lands, Romans were also super good at building roads. And they would build roads that would allow uh, basically the exchange of goods throughout their conquered territory. Seventh grade, right. Salt could now travel along the roads. The silk road. Salt could get to places that were more inland, that it was very difficult to get salt. And cheeses from around the world could come to ancient Rome, the capital of Rome. And in fact, you start to see different places getting known for their specific types of cheeses. Mm. There was a holiday in the uh, the winter festival around December called Saturnalia. Saturnalia was the Roman agricultural festival held around the winter solstice, and it could last for days. And there was a really, uh, you have to give gifts at Saturnalia. And it can be quite difficult to come up with the right gift for people. But you know what is a good gift that everybody enjoys around the holiday? It is cheese. So a guidebook was published that talked about what cheese you should give from different places for different occasions. Can you give me an example? 
Well, like they recommended um, Luna cheese. A Luna cheese? Luna cheese. It had like the imprint of a moon engraved on it. And it was a really big cheese. Um, And to make a really big cheese (laughs) involved this advance of technologies. Because if you made a cheese too big, then the inside of the cheese would rot. Because you would... Yeah, it would be pretty gross. That's bad. It would be pretty bad. Um, So you needed to make sure you got enough salt in there. You needed to make sure the water content lowered enough. So, um, lower that water, activity. lower that water activity. I know so many things. It could weigh up to a thousand pounds, which is a pretty big cheese. Usually in that time period, this, we're talking about ancient Rome, the cheeses would be uncooked. So they wouldn't be in elevated temperature. They'd be lightly pressed and they'd be surface salted. Um, so they'd have to be pretty small. So the, the Luna cheese was in this advance of technologies where they were able to, um, to get a bigger cheese. One way you can do that is to rub salt on the surface of your cheese. Or you cut the curds and you put salt in between the curds when you're cutting them. Mm. Let's 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 have some cheese. Do you wanna okay. do you wanna eat some cheese? Sure. So the kind of cheeses that people were eating around that time would have been those um, really fresh green cheeses. Green? Green okay, so when we talk about green, green sh- like your hair. <laughs> Becky's hair is also green. Just to paint you the picture. We're <laughs> the picture of our current surroundings is we are sitting in my childhood bedroom, which is covered in suitcases and martini glasses, martini glasses and board games and just random junk. Yeah. Becky's wearing a toga made out of a bed sheet, which we're not even sure is Roman. I have French braid pigtails <laughs> and we're drinking wine. And my hair is green. And Becky's hair is green. I think I already mentioned that. Yeah. All right. So what's the wine we're drinking, just so everyone knows? I don't know how to pronounce that. Pierre André. It's white. It's white wine. We're we're drinking a white wine. All right. And the cheese is? Pecorino Romano. Okay. I think I'm going to like it. I hope so. More than the last ones. Is it from Italy? This is an Italian cheese. And it's it's the... um, the direct, the ancestor to the cheeses that the Romans would have eaten. So, I already is talked about like, how much the Romans love to eat cheese. Is it like Parmesan? It's like Parmesan. So it's a hard cheese like Parmesan. Like Parmesan. And um, Italian soldiers would be given like about twenty-seven grams per day of this cheese. How, is how much is twenty-seven grams? Well, how? this whole thing was about eighty grams. So it's it's going to be not about much. maybe three times more than what you're currently yeah, eating. That's not that much. Yeah, it's a pretty small amount of cheese. That's like a Parmesan. Mm, it's a little different than a Parmesan. Yeah. I like it. It's a sheep's milk cheese. So Pecorino Romano literally means Pecorino, which means sheep, and Romana, which means Rome. Roman sheep. Yeah. Um, so this is the sort of cheeses they would be eating. Just by itself or with other things? Like what? how'd they eat it? I, I'm so glad you asked that question because one of the favorite ways of eating cheese would be to sprinkle it into your wine. Are we going to do that? <laughs> do you want to do that? Because I think it might ruin your wine. Mm, but I'm so interested. It yeah, oh, would be a bad idea. I mean, if you've got some wine you don't care about. This one. I have the little, this little, little bit of it. So, so sp- I sprinkle it? Yeah, so sprinkling wine into your cheese... You mean cheese into your wine? Yeah, well, okay. Sprinkling cheese into your wine, along with maybe some honey and some barley, is known um, invigorator. Oh, should I get some honey? (laughs) I don't know. 
It's a known invigorator? It's a known invigorator. It invigorates you. What does that mean? Soldiers would eat it before battle. Okay, well, I'm going to do it so that I can... And it wakes you up. All right. Oh, dear Lord. (laughs) You could have ruined that wine. Oh, I know. It looks not super tasty, I've got to say. I don't think this is what they meant me to do. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to swirl it around a little bit. Oh, God. That looks so gross. (laughs) (laughs) Disgusting. No, it tastes like, it just t- it tastes like white wine. You can't taste the cheese at all? You're probably not putting enough in there. So, the Pecorino Romano is used a lot in pasta dishes. Can you see this going well with, like, a beautiful pasta? Oh, yeah, of course. Sprinkling, like, sort of like where you would use Parmesan, you could use Pecorino Romano. It's got a slightly different flavor, flavor profile, but it, and it can serve the same mm-hmm. basic purpose. Well, it's very similar, but slightly different. Um, so, if something's called Pecorino Romano, it has to come from Italy. Mm-hmm. And that's because of the protected designation of origin. Even in the United States? Because last week we talked about how feta, if, it, if it's from the EU, mm-hmm. if it's called feta, it comes from Greece. But here we don't have the same regulations. So, is that true in everywhere? That is true in everywhere. So, if Pecorino Romano uh, is sold anywhere, it comes from Italy. Okay. It actually has to specifically come from certain regions of Italy. Um, the island of Sardinia, Lazio, and the Tuscan province of... Grosseto. There's no R. Grosseto. Yes, it is. There's an R right there. Grosseto. But no, That's like R-O. Grosseto. Oh, okay. I used to play a pair of a genie in the mouse <laughs> <laughs> Sorry if that accent is offensive. offensive. <laughs> uh. I played an Italian man once upon a time. Um, so it got its PDO in 1996, so not that long ago. I can't believe I put cheese in my wine. Yeah, what I don't think. Why did you do that? I didn't do that. I'm trying to, you know, do as the Romans do. Ah, you're right. Uh, and oftentimes when these cheeses are sold, they have a, a sheep's head embosomed onto the label. Hmm. So I thought I'd talk you spend the, the rest of the episode sort of talking about enzymes. Because you asked me a question last week about... Um, what type of enzymes do people use in the cheesemaking industry? Mm-hmm. And I know you cut it out of that episode, but I remember being like, oh, I don't know. This feels like something I should know. So I actually did research it, okay. so now I have the answers. So your question is, do they use the kid in the lamb's rennet um, from the, the, the baby calves right. and baby goats? It, it depends, is basically the answer. If you buy cheese from the regular cheese aisle instead of the fancy cheese aisle, it's probably not going to be animal rennet. It's going to be vegetarian rennet because mm-hmm. it's cheaper. Mm. So you're buying those big blocks of Tillamook cheddar. Those are made from vegetarian rennet, which can come from fig bark, needles, cardin, thistles, uh, ivy, or enzymes. It can be mm. enzymatically produced. And en- these enzymes are... Um, proteolysis, protease enzymes. And what that means is that there are these, um, they have the ability to chop up proteins. Proteins are made of strings of amino acids. So uh, these enzymes can basically break apart the string of amino acids. And depending on where they break apart the string of amino acids, you're going to get slightly different flavors, basically. Um, but the, the end result is that those proteins, those way, the, um, sorry, the Casein proteins, remember back to episode one, are going to break apart, that my cells are going to fall apart, we're going to still get that, the network of proteins forming sort of like a net that pulls up the fat, and you're going to get the separation of the nonpolar fat and the nonpolar 
proteins. They're all going to come together into a lovely curd. In conclusion, the Roman Empire may have created robes, and they may have conquered lands, and they may have spread languages, but one of the most important things they did in terms of cheesemaking was actually the spread of Christianity. Um, and with Christianity, we get monasteries. And monasteries have played such a huge role in the world of cheese that a lot of the iconic cheeses we get from France and England and Switzerland and Holland have their roots in monasteries. So, um, thank you, Roman Empire. If you have any questions for us about cheese, um, please let us know. You can email us at or you can tweet at us, or you can literally ask us in person because you probably know us in real life. <laughs> if you don't know us in real life, welcome. That's pretty cool. Hello, new friends. I don't know why, how you found it, but great. I uh, should really up our marketing game here. <laughs> I don't know how people are going to discover this anyway. We should tweet more. Ask us a question and we'll try to answer it. Or if you have an interesting cheese fact you'd like to share. Or if you just want to tell us about a delicious bit of cheese you ate. We'll share it with our listeners. Um, and we hope you go forth and eat cheese. Go forth and eat cheese. Thanks for listening to our podcast. This has been Megan Johnson. Rebecca Johnson. And we have been talking to you about cheese for the past approximately 20 to 30 minutes. Um, we would like to thank, once again, our parents, Russ and Eve. Russ and Eve? <laughs> <laughs> They're celebrity couple. <laughs> I'm going to keep it. We'd like to thank them for letting us record in their house and also uh, giving us this wine that we've been drinking, <laughs> I suppose. Oh. Um, and just in general, being great parents. And we'd like to thank our all of our friends. We're going to shout out our two favorite fans right now, Sarah Bendrum and Clifford Samaranos. Keep doing what you're doing. We love, we love your support. Um, and you can reach us at curdsandy at gmail.com or you can tweet at us at curdsandy. Um, apparently no one has ever had that thought that curdsandy should be a handle on any social media. Crazy. So forever. We oh. should register the Instagram. We should start an Instagram. We should start an Instagram. We can put up pictures of the cheese we eat. Yeah. And my beautiful toga, which is falling apart. Which is not... It's a bed sheet. Alright. Um, anyway, this has been the outro to our episode <laughs> and we'll see you next time. Bye.